Hey, Graham. What up, what up, what up? I got a joke for you. All right, let's hear it. Wait, what would you say? I said, what up, what up, what up? Nothing, just recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, were, you weren't asking for real. It was, that was a... Anyway, I got a joke for you. Yes. Uh, what did the Viking leader mm-hmm. say to his band of misbehaving marauders? Um, what? It's either my way or Norway. Oh, my word. Like, like no way. You take it however you want. I'm taking it as a 2.1. So you're saying that that joke is worse than the joke you told last week. Uh, yes, by a factor of two. I think you are. You want to hear a different one? Yeah, let's get you. You have to redeem it. That's how bad that was. <laughs> Did you hear about the Viking who was reincarnated? <laughs> no. He was Bjorn again. <laughs> that's a that's a five. Oh, okay. That right. is a solid right, one. Let's hear from you then. All right. Uh, so, uh, David, what do you call a fish uh, that wears a bow tie? <sighs> what? Sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, is it better than Bjorn again? I mean, yes. it, it might be a matter of taste. Um, what did you say was Bjorn again? I have five. It seems high. I'll give you a 5.2. No. Those are called pity points. <laughs> you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's an adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. I'm Graham Pittman. And you are listening to Season 6, Episode 2, the 6.2th episode. The 2th episode of the 6th season. Also known as 51st episode. 50. Right. Right. 51th yes. 51th. 51th episode Graham, it's great to be back We have a wonderful guest this week The one and only Mr. Dave Eggers Came on to talk to us about his new book And lots of other stuff Because he's an interesting guy Yeah We also, of course, have snacks Crazy words Graham's got a story this week And then at the end Graham is going to share riddle with us And he's going to share a new riddle While also giving us the answer to last week's riddle Oh yes, I forgot about that uh, yes, I will. Which part? It doesn't matter. This episode's so long that, uh, I mean, all of our episodes are like 90 minutes. So right. I don't remember the riddle for last week right now, but halfway through the episode, I'll remember it. <laughs> It'll come and back I'll to forget you. it. And then I'll It'll remember it. Okay. And I'll have it by the end. Okay. I'll, got uh, it. Yeah. Got it. Hey, before we get too deep into the episode, should we tell the kids about poster again should we remind the kids that are listening and the moms and the dads and the and the aunts and the uncles and the pets so uh by the time you've heard would have heard this the poster would have been on sale for a week a week that's right yeah but that means there's not that much time left that's right and and also like what are you waiting for Uh, a pigeon to bring you news that you should buy it that doesn't make any sense uh you'll be waiting a while (laughs) uh yeah you you need to click the link in the show notes of the podcast which will take you to our sub stack withywindle.substack.com from there you will find an image of a poster it is a poster that is designed illustrated by Zach Franzen. Of S.D. Smith's uh, of the Green Ember covers fame. The Green Ember series covers fame. 
And also a guest on Withy Windle. And it's a really fun image of David and myself in a boat with That's books right. and snacks. That's right. And we will sign those and send them to you. And then and you can put them on your wall and throw darts. I mean, look at them adoringly. You can do whatever you want. I mean, um, at that point, it's yours. You can put it in your reading nook. So when you're reading, you can look up and see us and, and smile to yourself. Be like, yeah. They could attach it to the to the um, windshield on their cars so that when they're listening while driving, yeah. they can... Yeah, they can, they can, Although, uh, wait, that seems... Maybe to the roof of the car. The roof. The ceiling. The, the ceiling. Okay, there you go. Um, um, the floor? You could... The back of the driver's seat? You could put it like a welcome mat on the floor before okay. you get into the house. You could wrap your best friend's Christmas present in it. Oh. Expensive wrapping paper, but, but you know. good. Yeah. That's how you know you have friends. Yeah, that's right. So when when you get a, a present wrapped in a present, then you, yeah. then you know that you're good friends. Anyway, this poster is it's a great image. It's great artwork, but it also helps this show out a lot. So when you buy that poster, not only are you getting a great piece of artwork, but you are helping us make future episodes of Withy Wendell. So, you know, take that into consideration as you consider adding this to the uh, art collection on your wall. Uh, if you put it in a frame, maybe one day there will be a heist where someone breaks in. No, we don't want that. Uh, maybe no. it will become uh, world famous and you will be able to make more money than you bought it for. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. Well, anyway, it would make a good present. So if you know <laughs> anybody that you're looking for, any kids that uh, might want a bookish uh piece of art on their wall this makes a good or maybe you have a kid in your house who who would enjoy that right this will be on sale until october 15th and then it will no longer be on sale that's how that works when you take things off sale right so right it's like when you're wearing a sweatshirt and you take it off you're no longer wearing it right right but the difference is you could put that sweatshirt back on do you get a new sweatshirt this one yeah in this one you would take it off and throw it into a void never to be seen again Oh, that that sounds dark. But anyway, get the yeah. poster so that's not in the void. <laughs> uh, speaking of helping this show out, we also have a, a sponsor for whom we are, for whom, yeah, for whom we are very grateful. It is Waxwing Books. And if you are looking for beautiful books that the whole family will love to read, look no further than Waxwing Books, the brand new boutique publishing house from Read Aloud Revival, a podcast and online community dedicated to helping both adults and kids fall in love with reading aloud. Waxwing publishes books for a wide range of ages, containing illustrations you want to look at a little longer than necessary, text that is delicious to read aloud, and stories that pull both adults and children in. Waxwing's first two releases are A Little More Beautiful, which... You heard about last season when Sarah McKenzie came on. This show. On this very show, yeah. yeah. Came on this very show, yeah. And then also, the new one is called While Everyone is Sleeping. And these are both written by Sarah McKenzie and available for purchase at waxwingbooks.com or Amazon or, you know, maybe fine bookstore called Coldberry Books uh, in Concord, North Carolina, should you want to come by. I'm just, you know, anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. Yes. Um, so, Graham, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Have you seen... These, these books? Yeah. Yeah, we have, we have a couple of them in our house. And generally speaking, are you pro or con Waxwing Books books? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very pro Waxwing Books. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. I'm on the record uh, before they were a sponsor of being very pro. Yeah, I wanted to just make sure because I didn't, you know, we didn't talk about, you know, are you pro Waxwing before they agreed to sponsor the episode? So I want to make sure you're okay with it now that they're actually sponsoring. Oh, well, sponsoring. that's good. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. we hashed this out now. Right. On the on the, on the uh, air, on the, with but thousands yeah, of Anybody who listening. steps out and does boutique anything, 
<laughs> right. I'm, yeah. I'm usually pro. <laughs> and when you couple it with like, we're going to start publishing, we're going to start our own publishing house. That's a, that's a leap of faith. That's, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's hard. Right. That's, that's right. There's a lot of moving parts and we welcome it. That is, I mean... Uh, we want more people making good stuff. Plus, beautiful books, really well made, great illustrations, great stories, well written, all the things that you want out of out of children's books. So, yeah. um, and I and I will note this is you know Christmas is is coming not too far from now. So if you have you know, small children in your house, or maybe you have a little sibling or, or a cousin, or there's a baby shower that you're going to, or any, I'm just, you know, again, I'm spitballing. I'm just coming up with ideas for reasons you might want to get a waxwing book book for, you know, someone in your life. So, uh, waxwing is, is a bird, right? And there's cedar waxwings and bohemian waxwings and you were full of waxwing knowledge, Japanese waxwings. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, and they're really cool birds. Like they have a the distinctive feature that, that something about their wing must be distinctive because they're called wax wing. <laughs> yeah, that's I've true. never I've never really noticed anything about their wing, but they're uh, uh it looks like they have like this mask, like they have this this black line that goes right over their eyes and it kind of like ends in a point. And this is all of them no matter where they're from. Uh yeah, yeah, they okay. all have this. They're really cool looking birds. So, so I don't know if we talked to Sarah about why she called it waxwing. We might have, and I'm forgetting, but I don't think we did. I don't recall so, talking about that. I'd be curious. Maybe there's a lot of waxwings where she is. Anyway, if you'd like to get a waxwing book, book, head over to waxwingbooks.com or where, you know, wherever else you might want to get books. And then also go look up waxwing birds so then you can make that connection and, and we can yeah. prove whether or not Graham knows what he's talking about. Because sometimes I feel like, you know, we need to click confirm Graham research. I never make stuff up. You never. Okay. Okay. You know what? Guys, never about birds. Gr- we need to take a quick break because I need to go make a list of all the things that Graham has made up since I've been friends with him, confront him with it, and then see if our friendship is still in good enough shape to continue this episode. So give us a minute. We'll be right back. Graham, are we still friends enough to keep doing this? We are, but... <laughs> Always something you want to hear when you ask someone if you're still friends. I have something I need to talk to you about. Oh, what's okay. the next segment? Snack time? Yeah, yeah, we're not getting there yet. Oh boy, we're not getting there yet. All right, I was in, I was at the bookstore. Um, at Goldberry? Yeah, I was at. The, there's no customers. You know, that's when the Gargolhauser, the bookstore troll, he, he'll make an appearance every once in a while if he doesn't hear. Right. You know, right. customers it in the store. If he's awake, of course, because yeah. it's during the day. But. And you were at home. You were gone. So I. Uh, I try to avoid him when he comes up or I hear him like, you know, but he was making some weird noises. Yeah. And so I went downstairs and he was in a fuss about something. Would you describe it as a rage or was it not? No, no, no. He's just upset. He's just a little bit upset. Okay. And so I went down and he's in the corner, but it's not like his corner. It's just a, a corner in the basement. And he's, he's, he's in kind of a fuss and I look down. And uh, it looks kind of like the bookstore troll's lair. Okay. But he says it's not his lair. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, he, he says yeah. that David calls it his lair, and and in there I saw. I don't know what we're talking about. I saw empty vanilla ice cream cartons, and Spe- uh, you, and ma- a bunch speaking of, of making things up, and a bunch of a bunch of candy corn wrappers, 
And on the wall, there was this diagram that showed ice cream plus candy corn, like you were doing math to see if it would work. And he didn't like this big mess you left down there. That you're telling me your the bookstore corn. troll didn't like the mess in the basement that he, you know what? He likes his own mess. He doesn't like it when you, and by the way, thanks for not inviting me uh, to your candy corn ice cream concoction fest you had in the basement. They said not I to. I would have enjoyed they, they it. They said I couldn't. They? Never mind, never mind, <laughs> never mind. We'll okay, and also, you told me you would only eat candy corn in October. And this was last month. It looked like this had been going on all summer. I don't know, Honestly, I don't know what we're talking this about. This is months of. I don't know what we're talking anyway, about. I just had to bring it up. It's been eating me up inside. That uh, there's been some sort of layer being built by you in the basement. I don't know, I don't know what we're. Anyway, this week for snack time, we uh, we have a, a snack that was sent by a uh, by an audience member. We have a card here too, which I won't read the whole card because you know. Cards are not meant for public consumption. But this is from the Fisks. You know what else is not meant for public consumption? What? Vanilla ice cream with candy corn in it. Well, it's just private for right, you right, alone. Right, yes. No one else. Right. I mean, there's, there's rules to the world. Uh, but actually, we're, uh, you got, we, got, we got other stuff for, for you today. Oh, yeah. So, let's look at this. So they sent us something that we've talked about on this show before. It is moon pies. Yeah. Now, this is like us. They're only in the South, right? Uh, they no, spread? no, they're all around, I okay. think. Well, they're very southern popular in the south. Because they're from Atlanta. Okay, so here I'm going to toss one. These are the mini moon pies. I'm going to toss these to you. Now, what happened was a moon pie has chocolate with like a cookie and kind of a marshmallow filling, right? So then what, yeah. I, what happened was I thought, okay, this is the American version of a chocolate creamy cookie type dessert, right? So yeah. then I went to World Market. And I thought, you know what we have to do? We have to compare the moon pie oh. to similar cookies from around the world. I love this. So we have the moon pie. So let's open the moon pie. Don't don't eat all of it right away. Oh. Save it so you can do it. I mean, you're going to need some some water or something here in a minute because, you know, you do get... All right. Tastes like moon pie. Love okay. it. So the first thing that I've got here other than the moon pie is... Okay, yeah. a moon. I mean, the moon pies are delicious. That's just a delicious treat. Okay, so this is Milka. So Milka is my favorite chocolate brand. And this is a cocoa Jaffa. It's like chocolate flavored mousse thing going on here. Jaffa cake. Like a Jaffa cake, yeah. 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 So, it kind of looks like a moon pie. So on the yeah, it does. On the bottom it's like the cookie texture and on the top it's a very um spongy chocolate. So if I remember it right, with Milka chocolate. British listeners can correct me. I'm pretty sure Jaffa cake is a little bit spongy uh, and you like can dunk it in your tea or, or, or you know, and, you have it at like and, and the snack. box here, Milka, the brand Milka, it's the pink, the, the purple box. It says milk chocolate topped biscuit. Mm -hmm. They don't even call it a cookie, of course. It, it fits the description. It's quite good. It's never my, these aren't my favorite. Because of the texture? Yeah. The biscuits are always, they've got like that sponge. And maybe if I was dipping this in a coffee or something, it would be amazing. Um, but by itself, it's never been my favorite, but that chocolate is good. <laughs> okay, this next thing that I got to compare here, we got four things to try. This next one. And kids is, can get all these? These are at World Market. Yeah. Uh, if they have a World Market near them? Yeah. Or go in oh, online? Yeah, I assume they're all on, online. So, milk, so uh, Moon Pie, America, from Atlanta. Milka, I believe, is is a German company. This next one, I believe, is 
from somewhere in the, it's Sweden. Nope, this is German. This, this is, is German. Leib Leibniz. Maybe, yeah, we got to figure out where milk is actually from. This is a Leibniz, and it's a crisp biscuit squarely set into a milk chocolate tablet. So this one's a little crispier than the Milka Jaffa cake one. But it looks like a... That's really good. I love this. It's like... It's kind of like the texture. The chocolate's the texture of like a bigger piece of Hershey's chocolate, but much better than Hershey's. With the texture of a, what's the cookie? Just like a cookie. It's like a digestive biscuit. Yeah, like a, like a, yeah, like a digestive biscuit on the bottom. Yeah. Um, this would be delicious with coffee or tea as well. I love this. I would eat all of these. And I've never, like you just read that description off the box. I've never heard the words milk chocolate tablet. I don't think. Yeah, I like that's, that. That's true. I've never heard that either. Uh, this is my favorite one. I really want to know where milk is from now. It's a, I think Milka might be Polish, based on the, the box. Okay, the last one is English. This is Tunnock's Milk Chocolate Wafer Cream. So it's a, it says biscuits with a delicious chocolate flavor cream filling. So they're all kind of the same general idea. Okay, now this is individually wrapped. So what I'm going to do is, because we don't need, you need to eat whole ones, I'm just going to snap this right in half and give you the part in the wrapper so that I don't touch your piece of chocolate. Okay, so this is kind of like those wafers you get where they have different colors, but then there's a creamy filling. And this would be another one that you want to dunk in something. This it's is... a biscuit with a... So biscuit for them, of course, is, is cookie in England with a delicious chocolate flavor cream filling. I think this is from Scotland. This is kind of like coffee crisp. It's from the UK. Oh, that's I weird. It might be Scotland. It's weird. To add, the aftertaste to me, for me, is weird on that one. I can't pin it down. It is Scotland, manufactured in Scotland. You see them? You get that? It's almost a little bit soapy. Oh, I don't have that. Did you have soap on your hands? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know how else to describe it. Of course, but uh, yeah. I'm impressed with all of these. Yeah, they're all very... Edible. I love this. Even the one that's a little... Okay, so, so you got a ranking? Are you going to rank them or are you okay. just... Yeah, okay, so I'll go first then. I think I'm ranking... Now, I love a Milka chocolate bar. Yeah. Um, for me, that Milka Jaffa cake might be the, my favorite because of that soft texture. You like that one? It's the most like the moon pie too. You know what? I mean, it is, it is good. I'm going to do the, the cocoa Leibniz with the disc of chocolate and the cookie. That's my number one. The tablet. The tablet, yeah. My number two, I'm going to go moon pie. Yeah. Because that's like, that's like a classic. That's my, that's reminds me of my childhood plus America. I think it's the only one out of these that has a marshmallow too. Right, yeah. And that's true. different. True. It's got a little, there's like a more, more to it. And especially with these are the mini ones too, if you have a big one. And then my third is going to be the Jaffa cake actually. And then the fourth one, I think I'm going to do that wafer cream from... From Scotland. Now you have Scottish blood running through your vein. Actually, I do too. What am I talking yeah, about? Yeah, I love that last one. I don't know if I. Yeah, eat these it are as, all good. I don't know if I'd eat it as much. I think I've got a uh, moon pie one. Okay. I just love a moon pie. Yeah. It, yeah. It's and very we're just, uh, and to be uh, on the record here, we are just doing the plain chocolate moon pie. Right. right. There's other ones too that are right. like the orange one. Oh, that's so good. I've never had. The, there's an orange moon pie. Yeah. Wait, yeah. which part's orange? The whole outside. It's like coated in orange. 
It's like a creamsicle looking moon pie. Really? Yeah, that's good. Well, Can we, we, should we go now? We, we should get like four or five different flavors of moon pie to do. Maybe we should make a video of ourselves trying mo- all the different moon pies fun. and post that on the Substack. Although I've seen the banana one around and I've always been scared of it. Oh, I'll eat that. I'd try that. I'll do it. Do you like banana Laffy Taffies? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going moon pie and then what's the one called that's a tablet of chocolate? The It's from Leibniz, it looks like. So a Choco Leibniz. So it's... Like oh yeah, the Choco Leibniz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing that one, and then I'm going the tonics, and then the uh, Jaffa cake. Jaffa cake just not my favorite. Yeah. Okay. I, I I like it. That's one I would eat like one of, and probably be okay. Not like going back for. It. But these other ones are like, man, need some self control to stop now. So the Jaffa cake's interesting because I love the milk of chocolate, and I like the cookie biscuit part, but I don't love the little filling in that. The mousse. The mousse. I don't. I don't love that. It's like the the. It reminds me of what I don't like about this wafer cream one is that little, that filling flavor is not my favorite, but I do love the milk of chocolate. Just regular milk of this was really fun. These yeah. are like, I've, I'm, I'm sure I've seen, I know I've seen that tonics, the Scottish one in the, in world market or different, you well, know, your international dad's Scottish. Stores. So you probably have all kinds of, I've seen all of these, but I've never even, I've never had them. It was great. Speaking of Scottish, did you know that I am distantly related to Mary Queen of Scots? Or no King James or one of those people. Uh, Which one? (laughs) Both probably. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be back with Crazy Words in a minute. (laughs) All right, Graham, we are back with our newest segment. Do you remember what it's called? Crazy Words. Crazy Words. (laughs) It's the segment in which I present you with one of the craziest words in the English language. It's a segment in which you put me on the spot, and right. it's like I'm a little monkey having to dance around for a few minutes while you ask me questions I don't know the answers to. That's what, what the segment is. I don't... I, I don't, don't appreciate really, it, I but I'm committed to the show. I don't really know what the problem is here. Okay, <laughs> here's the thing. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you the word in just a second, but yeah. first, I'm going to tell you... First, you want me to define it. A bunch of synonyms. Oh, th- so I have to guess the word too? Well, we'll, if you, we'll see if you can. Okay, mm. here's some synonyms for, um, for this particular word, which I'm about to read. Bamboozle. Okay. Hornswoggle. Oh. Mislead. Mm-hmm. Delude. Deceive. Make... Mockery of it's not a word, but bamboozled, hornswoggled, deceive. So this is some sort of tricks, trickstery. Right, it's a word concerned with trickery and deception. Okay, but it's not lie. That's not a crazy word. No, it isn't. It isn't. It is not uh, lie. The pull the wool over someone's eyes. That's a phrase, not a word. That's true. Um, I can't think. I can't think of it. So. Oh, I know. Bamboozled. <laughs> no. That, that, that's Bamboozle. Not, that's, that's not it. Um, Bamboozling. I'm going to give you a hint. Okay. Oh, yeah. This word is a reduplication. Did that, did that help? No. It didn't? What? A reduplication? Yeah. Like, for example, hocus pocus or, you know, words like that. Hodgepodge, hurly burly, hubbub, hugger mugger, humdrum. Harem scarum, helter skelter, hurry scurry, shilly shally, tittle tattle, topsy turvy. Hey, you're using all the words we should use for oh, this they segment. May, they may come up. Um, what, what, I'm listening crazy words. Helter What's your, skelter? No. 
That's not, what does that have to do with deceiving somebody? <laughs> this week's word is flim flam. Oh, it's, oh, okay. Flim flam. Where do you think the word flim flam comes and from? And this is like a, a, to, to trick someone? Flim flam is like that's nonsensical some f- or insincere talk. That's, that's some real flim flam, Jeremy was yeah. saying. Yeah, Jeremy. Okay. Sorry. You know what's flim flam? You and your tails of ice cream in the basement. No, not flim flam. Flim flammery. Flim flamicious. I don't think so. Um, okay, flim flam. How did this word come to be? Do, when do you think this word... Okay, let's do this. Flim-flam. Which country do you think the word flim flam derives from before it comes to English? Because as we know about English, we've grabbed all kinds of words from all different languages to make mm. the sort of... Alpha, the the the. the, the vocabulary that is out of the language oh, we speak every day. What is it? Latin. Wrong. <laughs> uh, I, this comes from the Dutch, as we all know. I, I'll give you a hint. It's related to Vikings, but not the one that I told my first joke about. The Not the country that I told oh. my first joke about. Finland. Sweden. Norway. It's, it is. It's from, it's from Scandinavia. <laughs> oh, just Scandinavia. Okay. The first appearance was in the 1530s, apparently. And uh, in the dictionary, it calls it a contemptuous echoic construction. <laughs> oh, I like that too. In the 1650s, it became a verb, and we started calling people eventually flimflammers. Yeah, we did. And a flam is a uh, is a sham story or a fabrication. And so flim started... as in flimsy. Uh, fl- what did you just say? Is flim as in flimsy? You know, I'm going to tell you right now that my research on it doesn't bring up the word flimsy, so I can't verify, mm. but that seems likely. A flimflam man is someone who's a confidence trickster. A flimflam man. A flimflam man. So that's a person who intentionally goes out to deceive people in order to uh, get something out of it. Right. Either money or some knowledge or something. Right. You try to trick people into to giving you something. Flimflam. Yeah. Flimflam, yeah. That's a crazy word. It says... Scandinavian-derived word, which is uh, synonymous with many other very fun words. And that's one of the reasons I liked it, is because of all the words that were uh, similar to it. And they call that, when you put two words together like that, that's what they call a reduplication or an echoing word. If it was flim-flim, it would be a duplication. Right. But flim-flam, reduplication. Yeah, and there's a, so there's a book called Suffolk Words and Phrases, which was published in 1823, which has a whole list of uh, words like this, um, including a bunch of those words that I said earlier, like higgledy-piggledy and hurly-burly and hodgepodge. The Suffolk Book of Phrases. Suffolk Words and Phrases. Oh, Suffolk Words and Phrases. Guess, what his, guess who it was written by? James R. Suffolk. Edward Moore. And if I've ever, oh. never heard an English name more appropriate to living in England, it's, not, it's Edward Moore. <laughs> Edward Moore. Probably from Suffolk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was another edition of Crazy Words. We'll be back in just a minute with Graham's story for the week. It is time for story time. It is time for Graham to share a story. So it's Graham's story time. It, Take it away, Graham. It, that is correct. Very good. <laughs> Just factually correct. This is a story that, uh, like one of our chocolates, and a lot of good chocolates, comes from Germany. Mm. This is one that was compiled by the Brothers Grimm. 
I think it's a little lesser known. Maybe some people know it. Okay. Uh, it's called The Wolf and the Seven Little Kids. Oh, oh dear. Kids in this uh, refers to small goats. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. Not if you took my kids and your kids and put them together on the side of a mountain with a wolf. Correct. Okay. And don't be too scared. I know this is a grim story. (laughs) There was, once upon a time, an old goat who had seven little kids and loved them with all the love of a mother for her children. One day, she wanted to go to the forest and fetch some food. So she called all seven to her and said, Dear children, I have to go to the forest. Be on your guard against the wolf. If he comes in, he will devour you. Skin, hair, and all. That's how you know it's a good warning when it's that specific. Right, yeah. Um, (laughs) That wretch often disguises himself, but you will know him at once by his rough voice and his black feet. The kid said, Dear mother, we will take good care of ourselves. You may go away without any anxiety. And when kids say that, you always take them, but they're worth. <laughs> then the old one bleated and went on her way with an easy mind. <laughs> it was not long before someone knocked at the door and cried, Open the door, dear children. Your mother is here and has brought something back with her for each of you. But the little kids knew that it was the wolf by the rough voice. We will not open the door, cried they. Thou art not our mother. She has a soft, pleasant voice, but your voice is rough. You are the wolf. Then the wolf went away to a shopkeeper and bought himself a great lump of chalk, ate this, and made his voice soft with it. Then he came back, knocked on the door of the house, and cried, Open the door, dear children. Your mother is here and has brought something back with her for each of you. But the wolf had laid his black paws against the window, and the children saw them and cried, We will not open the door. Our mother has not black feet like you. You are the wolf. Then the wolf ran to a baker and said, I have hurt my feet. Rub some dough over them for me. And when the baker had rubbed... Dough like that's like already made dough, not just flour. We're talking yeah, like, like just dough, like dough, just like bread watery, dough, cookie dough, white dough. I wonder what kind of dough would work best for disguising one's feet. We'll have to ask the next wolf we see and see. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. Next mm. time I see one. And when the baker had rubbed his feet over, he ran to the miller and said, strew some white meal over my feet for me. The miller thought to himself. The wolf wants to deceive someone. Smart Miller. (laughs) Smart Miller. I've known some smart Millers. The the wolf wants to deceive someone and refused. But the wolf said, if you will not do it, I will devour you. Good motivational tactic there. (laughs) Threaten digestion. Yeah. Then the Miller was afraid and made his paws white for him. Coward. Mm. So now... The wretch went for the third time to the house door, knocked and said, Open the door for me, children. Your dear little mother has come home and has brought every one of you something back from the forest with her. The little kids cried, First show us your paws that we may know if you are our dear mother. Then he put his paws in through the window. And when the kids saw that they were white, they believed that all of it was true and opened the door. But who should always getting away with this? But who should come in? The wolf. The wolf. I like that line. (laughs) Uh, Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, They were terrified and wanted to hide themselves. One went under the table, one under the bed, the third into the stove, the fourth 
into the kitchen, the fifth into the cupboard, the sixth under the washing I, bowl. I can, I can imagine this in an animated show. Just everyone going everywhere and the music's all crazy. And the seventh went into the clock case. The clock case? But the wolf found them all. And he swallowed them all down his throat. Whole? Yeah. This took a turn. But the youngest in the clock case was the only one he did not find. When the wolf was satisfied, he took off and laid himself down under a tree in the green meadow outside and began to sleep. Soon afterward, the old goat came home from the forest. The house door was wide open. The table, the chairs, and the benches were all thrown around. The washing bowl was in pieces. She sought her children, but they were nowhere to be found. She called them one after another. No one answered. At last, she came to the youngest. A soft voice cried, I am in the clock case. So she took the kid out, and it told her that the wolf had come and eaten all the others. You can imagine how she wept. At length in her grief, she went out, and the youngest kid ran with her. When they came to the meadow, there lay the wolf by the tree, snoring so loudly that the branches shook. She looked at him on every side and saw something was moving and struggling in his big body. Heavens, said she, is it possible that my poor kids, who she has, he, whom he has swallowed down for his supper, can still be alive? Mm-hmm. Then she had the kid run home and fetch a needle and thread, and she poked the goat in the stomach. And hardly had she made a little poke than one kid thrust his head out. And when she poked again, all six sprang out one after another. They were all alive, and they had suffered no injury whatsoever. I have lots of questions about the physics of this. For in his greediness, the monster had swallowed them all down whole. Hmm. What rejoicing there was. Then they embraced their dear mother and and jumped like a tailor at his wedding. (laughs) Huh? Yep. Okay. The mother, however, said, now go and while he is asleep. So the seven kids grabbed stones with all speed and put as many of them into his stomach as they could get, and his mother sewed him up in great haste. So he was not aware of anything and never once stirred. He's a hard sleeper. Yeah, I was going to say. A hard sleeper. He was was opened up Mm -hmm. to get goats out. Yep. Didn't wake up. They put stones in him, sewed him back up. He still didn't wake up. I mean, that's just that'll show you not to be gluttonous. When the wolf at length... Had all his sleep out, he got on his legs, and as That's the a fun s- way of saying he got well, he got his sleep out, <laughs> he shook out his the sleep from his stumps, <laughs> and uh, and as the stones in his stomach made him very thirsty, he went to the well to drink. Mm. But when he began to walk and move about, the stones in his stomach knocked against each other and rattled, and then he cried out. What rumbles and tumbles against my poor bones? I thought it was six kids, but it's nothing but big stones. <laughs> and then he got to the well and stooped, like over, he speaks the, in verse. And stooped over the water. This wolf is full of surprises. Right, I know, right? And rocks. And when he got to the well, he stooped over the water and was just about to drink. The heavy stones made him fall in the well and there was no help. When the seven kids saw that, they came running to the spot and cried aloud, The wolf is dead! The wolf is dead! And danced for joy around the well with their mother. It's a happy ending. For, for some of them. Well, you know, usually the wolf doesn't get a happy ending in these yeah. stories. It's not usually customary. What would you, uh, you think of the wolf and the seven kids? 
I thought you can't analyze the fairy tale. By the way, it's not how fairy tales work like that. You can't. You can't well, question it. Like I, I was, I wasn't gonna question it. Okay. What are, you, what are you talking about? You had a furrowed brow. I did? No. <laughs> well, don't accuse me of having a brow furrow if, if I didn't have one. I like that story. I always like when the wolves get their comeuppance. The thing is, I like wolves. And I find them to be very interesting creatures. Yeah. And, but they're always the bad guy in these stories. Uh, yeah. You I mean, think there might be a reason? Always. That they might be the bad guy in a lot of folk stories that come from small villages. I thought we're not analyzing <laughs> small villages, small of, agrarian of, towns, of farm, of places where they have farmers and goats and, and, and sheep. Yeah, I get it. I get it, man. I but, like a wolf out in a forest. If I was a shepherd, I wouldn't like a wolf. Yeah, wouldn't so. be wouldn't be preferred. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing another story about the wolf getting his comeuppance and and a German one to boot. I, I wonder what the what the um, German wolves think of um, chocolate. Like, is everybody in Germany like really into chocolate and Haribo gummy bears and coffee and stuff like that? They better be pretzels, <laughs> bratwurst. Mm. I'm getting hungry, man. We we just had snack time. Yeah, but you've mentioned things we don't have, so. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to think about bratwurst, and then we'll be back to introduce you to Dave Eggers. Okay, we are back, and it is time to introduce you to our guest this week. That is Dave Eggers, who is the author of many books, among them... One of our favorite books of the year. It's called The Eyes and the Impossible. And it is a middle grade, it's a book for all ages as we talk about, about well, it's about a dog. We'll, we'll let him tell you more about that in the conversation. He also is the author of books like The Circle, The Monk of Mocha, Heroes of the Frontier, A Hologram for the King, and What is the What? In other words, he writes books for both kids and adults. He is the founder of McSweeney's, an independent publishing company, and co-founder of 826 Valencia, which is a youth writing center that has inspired over 70 similar organizations worldwide. He is the winner of the American Book Award, the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award for Education, the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, the TED Prize, and he has been a finalist for the National Book Award, the Pulitzer Prize, and the National Book Critics Circle Award. And he is also a member of the American Academy of Arts and Letters. So... All that to say, Dave Eggers is kind of a big deal. That's a lot of accolades. A lot of accolades. Actually, a lot of books, a lot of accolades. I think The Eyes and the Impossible, that new book that he wrote, I think that is his first like true kids or like young adult kids book. And I hope he continues to write them. I also had a picture book come out this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So he's got lots of lots of things going on. He's a very interesting guy, and we had a great time chatting with him. So you know what? Without further ado, let's get into it. So here is our conversation with Dave Eggers. All right, we are here with somebody that Graham and I are big fans of that we have wanted to talk to for a long time. This is this is Dave Eggers. Dave, thank you so much for coming on Withy Wendell and having a conversation with us. No, it's good to be here. Thank you. So we have many questions from the, from the kids. Um, and then we have plenty of questions of our own, but we're going to begin with what we always tell people is the most important question that you're going to get on this episode. Um, and then, you know, we claim it, but you can judge for yourself whether it's true after I ask it. Was sent in by a kid before our very first episode ever. Hmm. Dave Eggers, Cheetos or Doritos? Uh, Doritos, for sure. I have not had a Cheeto at least 20 years. Hmm. And I... I have no big problem with Cheetos, 
because I used to eat them. It's just that they're so much messier. Mm. And I get really yeah. tired of licking my fingers mm. and washing them yeah. afterward. And um, that's the main thing. I, yeah. I, I It's the convenience. How does it come down in terms of numbers over the years? <laughs> the Cheetos or Doritos? Do you keep a spreadsheet? <laughs> uh, we should keep a spreadsheet. My, my memory, which is... Um, uh, ironclad uh, seems to uh, <laughs> uh, seems to tell me Doritos is is the typical choice. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say maybe seventy percent Doritos, and largely the illustrators. Anybody that does anything that with drawing or illustrating or um, yeah, involves materials, they're not going anywhere near the Doritos right. for the exact reason that you're describing. And I think that with a Dorito, you can guess at what they're made of like it seems like there is some kind of organic matter there yeah like it's a kind of maybe like a chip but you don't right. know what's in a cheeto there's no right. it doesn't look like doesn't resemble anything else That's exactly yeah and you're like it could be styrofoam it could be uh insulation you don't <laughs> it's true no i do think maybe that that's why kids like them though there's a bit of a you know they're, they're a little unusual, and so that's appealing to you know, kids. Love eating inorganic matter. Yeah, they're, they're a little that's alien. True. Yeah, that's true. So, Dave, do you have more of a sweet tooth or a savory tooth, so to speak? Ah, sweet tooth, a hundred percent. To the detriment of my teeth, I've had a mouthful of fillings because I've always had a sweet tooth, and still do. My daughter and I are the sweet tooth people in our family, so we secret candy into the house and hide it mm. and uh trade uh it and then my son and wife uh are not mm. uh at all in, into it and so uh it is a weird it's a genetic quirk i'm convinced that you're either one <laughs> or the other like yeah so so what kind of like what are you sneaking in then what's the what's your favorite snacks your favorite sweets <sighs> you know yesterday i had some of those lifesaver gummies like if I see those, yeah, I've also yep. gone through like a year period where I think I have a three musketeers every day. Mm. Like if I see a Seven Eleven, I'll pull over and I'll get yeah. myself my three musketeers. Yeah, it's really uh, shameful, and um, but also like sounds like a lot of joy. Well, it, you know, that's the only. I mean, I, we don't have that much. Uh, I mean, and then gum. You know, we we do a lot of. Somehow, like orange flavored trident gum, my daughter and mm. I use when we're like biking and running and stuff. Mm. And when I I coached uh, baseball for about eight or nine years, and I was always oh, cool. handing out. We could not start and softball. We couldn't start a game without distributing the gum first. So I became right. a connoisseur of which gums hold the flavor the longest, and it's really markedly different. Like some some of these companies have it really down, and some of them are horrible. And unfortunately, <laughs> the more organic and kind of natural the kind of gum you buy at Whole Foods or something, it lasts 10, 11 seconds. And then it's just uh, some sort of cartilage or something. It, 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 it doesn't at all. You, wanna, you just want to be rid of it. Can you spill the beans? Like what's what's the what's the gum that holds the flavor the longest for all of the baseball players out there? Well, Big League Chew is actually pretty good. So you, you, yeah. you I don't know if you remember that. It looks oh, like yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. And actually, you know, most of the Wrigley stuff is pretty good. And then, uh, and weirdly, tried it when they got at the flavors mm. and stuff. I feel like they across the board know what they're doing. They've got mm. the science down. 
I, you know, speaking of science, like it feels like you have really made a science of understanding this and I wouldn't, you know, oh, makes, sure. it's my makes total work. sense. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, one last question about food before I turn it over to Graham to ask you something. Coffee or tea? You know, I did not drink coffee till I was 35. And it mm. was when my daughter was born, I needed something to keep myself awake. You, you guys probably know this when you're not sleeping and the baby's new. And mm-hmm. uh, so when I had to do a full day's work, I would have a gallon or so of coffee and uh, tasted terrible mm-hmm. at first. <laughs> you have to really get used to it and, and yeah. Yeah. put a uh, uh, half a pound or so of sugar in. But at this <laughs> point, like I wrote a book about coffee um, and have become a little bit of a snob and now i drink it very lightly roasted and uh black mm. and if you if you if you roast it right and uh brew it right it should taste a little bit more like tea it's mm. a lot lighter than it than most of us drink it here in the u.s so mm. the two kind of have a lot in common they're both made from plants you know the mm. coffee's a fruit and so they should have you should be able to taste the fruit mm. but i i don't mind tea it just doesn't uh it just doesn't have enough of anything for me it just <laughs> kind of like i don't know just like lightly flavored water i don't know what the point is so uh may yeah. i be so bold as to suggest maybe the um uh the lifesaver gummies and all the three musketeers maybe uh, maybe are overpowering your senses to tea just well it, it could wow, be Graham. But I did actually go through like the Q grading, like the mm. to become almost like a, like there is a uh, what do you call it in wine? Who's a, a oh, sommelier? sommelier? Yeah, yeah. It's like the Q grading course is like being a sommelier of coffee, and I went through most of those courses, so I'm an almost sommelier of ah, coffee. Mm. So I know the tasting, you know, the different, all the different, know how to taste defects in coffee and. Mm say oh i i I sent some chocolate notes and some raspberry (laughs) notes and yeah this is a little bit passive aggressive this one and uh (laughs) all of the pretentious ways to describe it but i know what you mean i i do have a i do prefer things that are kind of a little really strong taste i guess a little whether it's spicy or or, uh, or anything yeah another way of 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 describing what you're talking about graham might just be that we're speaking to a renaissance man and you need to take Mm. that more seriously there you go. <laughs> All, All right, right go ahead. Uh, you can put me in my place. That's fine. All right. So <laughs> read between uh, the lines. Yeah. Right. All right. Learn, Dave, learn something. We're <laughs> gonna we're gonna move off of coffee and candy, unfortunately. Uh, but we're gonna move into uh some questions here. But before we do, as you'll see from the questions, a lot of our listeners have read uh your latest book, The Eyes and the Impossible. But for those who haven't, I was wondering if you could give us kind of a two-minute summary of the book. Well, it's about uh, a dog named Johannes who lives in sort of a vast, wild, urban park, not unlike Golden Gate Park here in San Francisco. And um, he is sort of in charge of sort of parole, you know, patrolling the park every day um, to see what's going on to see what might be amiss, to see that any threats to the sort of the balance of the park, it's called the equilibrium, and then report those things to the bison, three ancient, slow-moving bison who live in a sort of a fenced-in compound. 
and they've been there for as long as anyone can remember. But he's free, he's fast, he sees all, and so he does that roaming and patrolling along with uh, sort of a handful of sort of assistant eyes, his friends, uh, pelican, uh, a raccoon, a squirrel, and um, um, and a seagull, Bertrand. And so, you know, all is going reasonably well until trouble ensues, complications arise, and um, he has to sort of re-examine his place in the park and in the universe. I guess that's his, that's a minute. That was great. Yeah, just, excellent. Yeah. Um, all right. So the first question comes from Parker. Uh, he wants to know how did you come up with this story? You know, it really came about in sections because I wrote the section first where Johannes comes upon what we realize as readers, as human readers, is an art fair of like amateur artists putting their paintings out in the park. And um, he's so mesmerized by this. He's never seen a painting. He's never seen a human artwork before that he sort of drops his guard and um, is captured by sort of a sketchy guy named Twisty who puts a leash around him and claims him as his pet. And uh, Johannes has never been kept before. He's never been a pet. He's always been free. And so um, I wrote that first and kind of his escape with his, with the help of his friends. And um, I always knew the book's voice. I knew how Johannes would see the world and sort of exult in his f- speed and vision and freedom. <laughs> and But then after that, it sort of built piece by piece. That episode... And then that led to sort of more about his kind of new obsession with art and, you know, <laughs> seeing the world differently. And, um, but from there, you know, the the later developments happened kind of serendipitously, you know, I, I hadn't, I did not outline the whole book mm-hmm. before I started it. And I rarely do. And this book was so fun to write because I sort of let the characters develop a little bit, let the scenes kind of got to write them in an open-ended way. Sometimes you actually, I'm not very, I don't believe in sort of that, the idea that a, a, a book or a character can kind of get away from you or that, you, that they write themselves or that it's some mysterious process where they take over the, your own control over the book or your agency over it. But in this case, there were moments where, the conversations between them or the actions between the characters were moving so quickly. I could barely type them Uh fast enough, you know, and again, when you know the five characters so well, you know what they're going to say, like in the instant that your fingers are ready to type it, you don't have to sit and ponder or, you know, write a bad draft or, write a sort of a rough version of it, you really know exactly what they're saying and you could hear their voices. And that was, that's not an everyday occurrence, but that was very specific to this book. The the characters became very, very real to me. <laughs> so I have a puppy, the uh, one-year-old, he just turned one and he's a Brittany. And so he's, Brittany's were kind of, they're hunting dogs. I don't, I don't hunt with him, but all he wants to do is run as fast as he possibly can in the woods. And so I was reading this book while training this 
he I guess he would have been seven or eight months old when this came out. So it was fascinating to watch him run while reading and listening some to the audiobook of him talking about how fast he is and how he's the fast, you know, the, all the the his um rather um limited sense of um realistic <laughs> speed um and numbers in general was was a lot of fun but now when i hang out with my dog in the woods his name is uh, sherlock but when i hang out with him in the woods i kind of imagine him speaking to me in ethan hawk's voice which is <laughs> yeah. uh which has been an interesting experience but it, i it, it really how did you get into the head of this well this is a silly question how did you like try to decide on the voice of this animal because it feels real like it, it I mean, do you well, have dogs, all that sort of stuff? No, I, I never had a dog. Um, hmm. I have met many dogs in my <laughs> years. Um, sure. Interviewed a bunch of dogs, did my research, and um, I have cats, <laughs> actually. Okay. Uh, we have we have two kind of free-range, semi-feral cats who hmm. spend their days roaming miles around and killing everything they can, and then they come and then they, they sleep yeah. in our house and eat our yeah. food. But Yeah, right, yeah. So it's a very good kind of very open relationship where they can come and go as they please. Yeah. That's how you want to have a relationship with a cat. I think so. You know, like I do like, and you know, if, you know, their lives are their own, you know, like they get to sort of decide if they want to come back every (laughs) night and they do. And, but so it feels very uh, honest to me. And, um, but, you know, when you see your dog running, it's clear that he exults in his speed, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you see that, it means we know dogs have souls. We know they can grieve. We know dogs and cats, you know, are wildly different from each other, even from the same litter, right? Mm, five dogs right. from yeah. the same litter will react in five different ways to all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. And then, but what does it say, you know, about the complexity of the dog soul if they can appreciate and exult in their own abilities, right? Mm. That makes for some, that's some multi-level kind of very complicated existence where they're like, man, I'm fast, you know? (laughs) I'm going to run as fast as I can through the woods and I'm going to, you know, nobody can catch me. I'm the best. And it just, for years, I have been experimenting with this voice Mm. because it just seems to me that dogs are very uniquely optimistic about life they're uniquely kind of proud of their abilities. <laughs> they can celebrate them and and you know they're celebrating those. They and I think that if you can um they teach us a little bit about how to live because they mm. don't brood, they easily they quickly forget. They appreciate all the beauty of the world, I think. They always leave the house thinking that there's something great is going to happen, right? Mm. So mm. I've always sort of observed them with some, you know, trying to, you know, learn a few things or emulate them in certain ways. And, um, and, but it is really interesting that across the board, they are this way. Whereas cats, I think, are quite different in terms of like, they're all similar in there that they share that optimism. I don't think you have too many sort of, uh, uh, downbeat or cynical dogs right like i think that even the slower ones are still you know wanting to find delight yeah and uh always expecting it whereas i think i think cats are 
there's a much wider range of uh of their personal outlook let's say <laughs> yeah, yeah so i don't know i mean when you see a dog and i i work on a boat so my office is a little boat my office used to be a garage that was worse than yours graham i mean mine was really <laughs> filthy and dark and depressing yours is kind of nice but <laughs> and i had no kitchenette or running water or anything and during covid i started working on a little sailboat in san francisco bay and we're surrounded by uh that's amazing sea lions and cormorants and pelicans and you see the seals and sea lions in particular they share that same dog thing mm -hmm. they just spend all day playing they have mm -hmm. no jobs like i looked into it they don't have any work to do and um mm -hmm. they just play all day and they spend maybe 10 minutes a day catching enough food to eat and that's it they play they bask they chase they jump on top of your boat to show off that they can and um <laughs> so they were helpful too in their writing because i wrote this while i was out on my boat and um and you know they're so similar to dogs that much of johannes is actually based on the seals and sea lions that i'm mm. surrounded by mm. graham this does raise this question here from sam Okay, so Sam is, he is wondering, or she is wondering, um, how did you come up with the names of the different animals? And then also, do the three bison names have any particular meaning? No, no particular meaning outside of, I wanted them to have kind of old sounding names, like not very current names, but names that might have been used in the 1800s, I guess, in... Uh, and except for i guess yolanda sounds a little bit more current um but i like names like johannes that you just never hear on a daily basis at least in this country i liked bertrand it just seemed to me a very noble name and every time you hear the name bertrand you see somebody with a very upright posture and kind of a maybe with a chin sort of uh slightly lifted chin you know and a puffed out chest i guess and so i tried to sort of match the names to their personalities to some extent and um but i also wanted sort of timeless names that didn't really owe anything to like this particular moment or names that are very popular at this second so is that process of naming did that prove different for you than when you're writing books about people so are you when you're writing about people are you trying to match the names with the personalities of the characters or is that a more distinct task that are that came about for you because you're writing about animals no it's it, it's not so different and i think what's weird and and what your listeners might find interesting is that nine times out of ten i write most of the book with the wrong name I change the names pretty late in the game sometimes. <laughs> so Bertrand was always Bertrand. Johannes, you know, his name is only said a few times in the book because it's first person. So his name didn't need to be there until I think two months before it was finished, before <laughs> we sent it to press. And so um, he was just I, you know, he was the unnamed first person narrator. Yeah. And, um, and then I think names like, um, uh, you know, Sonia, Yolanda, and um, I think I, Thompson and Reyes, I changed many different times as the raccoons, but I came up when I came up with sometimes there's just when it rings just right, you know, and mm. you struggle over and over with so many different name combinations. And it, you're like getting close, but you know, 
that there's something closer, something just right. And when you hit it, for some reason, a one-eyed squirrel to me has to be named Sonia, and it couldn't be anything else, but I don't know why. <laughs> and I did, growing up, there was a one-eyed squirrel that used to come to our back door every day for food. So we had this one-eyed squirrel in our life for about five years as a kid. And it was so, you know, he'd grab the food right from your hand and go back, and it was very polite. And But every time he came to the door, he came as if he'd never been there before, like, excuse me, um, <laughs> I'm a squirrel, I live nearby. <laughs> One-eyed squirrel's got stories to tell, too. <laughs> yeah. And he was always sort of, you know, and we, we would say, yeah, we know, we've been feeding you for five years, but, and then we feed <laughs> yeah. So it reminded me a little bit of, uh, of Sonia, how, the, how no matter how long she's been friends with, with this coterie, she always feels like she has to apologize for herself and, and be welcomed again. So we have a very important question here from James. I, I really think um, this one needs to get asked. Dave, James wants to know, what's your beef with ducks? <laughs> yeah, that's the inevitable question. I, I, <laughs> It sounds to me, James, that you don't have personal experience with ducks because <laughs> if you did, you, you would wouldn't know. ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you've ever needed help from a duck, if you've ever found yourself in a tight corner with your only savior, a duck, then um, you would know. Um, no, you know, in Golden Gate Park, there is a duck pond. There's a number of them, but there's one in particular that's really smelly and kind of full of algae. And you bike by it quickly because it it uh, is the smelliest place in the park. So I've always, you know, I've been seeing this park for 30 years and and that part of it. And it just occurred to me that they do seem less reliable than the other animals and um, and a little bit frivolous and flaky. And that's just my take on them. I don't know why. And then I, I knew that they would be kind of, it's not like everybody tolerates them in the book and they, they think, you know, they coexist with them. And it's just that they're not the ones to go to in a pinch. And I thought, there's always that point in a book where you're going to redeem the character like that, that has been a little bit derided throughout. And I thought that's the expected thing to do. That's the standard thing to do. What if we give them a chance <laughs> to be redeemed, which they do, and they go to them at their moment of need in the middle of this you know, plan to uh, free the bison? And they're just as flaky and unreliable and distracted as uh, as advertised. And that gave me great pleasure to not redeem them for once in a book. <laughs> Maybe someday in the future they will redeem themselves. But in this time, we all know that, you know, sometimes there are some, you know, uh, humans or animals around us that that are not the, are not the ones you go to yeah. when... Uh, that are yeah. just a little bit less stalwart than others. Yeah, the the ducks seem to be duds. I'll say I'll say that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so Brittany wants to know. Uh, she says the full spread paintings by Sean Harris are so beautiful. How did that idea come about? Well, so Sean, I don't know if you're if everyone knows Sean and I did a book called Her Right Foot about the Statue of Liberty. And that was the first illustrated book that Sean did. 
And he's a really talented artist, but he was first a musician. He was the lead singer and songwriter in a band called Matches that was, uh, you know, he'd play in front of big crowds and right there on stage. And then when that band wound down, he began a career as an illustrator and now as a writer of books for uh, young readers. And so, so he's one of those annoying people that's good at a lot of different things. He's good at everything. And so he's got a couple of new books out with Mac Barnett right now. Um, uh, the first Cat in Space was the first one, and this is a sequel to that. And those books are so great, so funny. Mac was the guest on the previous episode. Before oh, yeah. So Mac and I go way back, too. He was an intern at our little publishing company, and then he ended up running 826LA, our writing and tutoring center down in LA. And so I've known him since mm-hmm. he was maybe 20, I think. Oh, wow. Um, so it goes way back. And awesome. um, And his wife, Taylor, was my editor on this book. She's oh wow a great great editor, and nice. then Sean and Mac went to high school together in Oakland. So it's very small small world here. But um, that's cool. I forget what the question was. Oh, the <laughs> paintings. Yeah. yeah. So we knew that you know Sean and I sat down in 2019, and I said I have this book, I have these ideas for the illustrations. I want there to be these lush landscapes in the middle. And we started talking about it and about the cover that would be made of wood. And we did, you know, all this planning back way back then, four years before the book came out. And then we were trying to sort of experiment with how to do these, you know, these landscapes. And of the things that Sean has done, he has not done big, lush landscapes. Mm. So the first thing I did is I took a bunch of pictures at Golden Gate Park and then I tried to paint them myself. I went to art school. I am not as good as Sean at anything, but, um, and I failed. And then we came up with the idea, and I can't remember where it was, but I think Sean started looking at old master paintings. So these are old paintings from the 1800s, sometimes the 1700s, that look like this, and they've been in museums in Europe for centuries, and that he painted Johannes into these old paintings. So these are like paintings you'd see at the museum. We chose a bunch. We asked the museums if we could use them. They said yes. And then we chose ones that looked enough like Golden Gate Park or Urban Park. And then he found little places to put Johannes in each. And instead of putting art on every page, which I also like, and I've done in previous books, I thought, well, what if every so often there was just this bath, you know, like you Mm. jump pool of of color and you and you can picture the rest of it yourself because i think sometimes it's nice if the reader can imagine what bertrand looks like and imagine what yolanda looks like as opposed to each one of them Mm. being illustrated for them Mm -hmm. so i think that it's kind of fun if you can see certain things and know the environment and get a sense of the setting and then make up the rest of it yourself in your imagination yeah that's cool. Let's do one more question and then do the quiz. Okay. So good. Dave, this is a question that um, we ask occasionally, but I really, really want to ask you this one. It was sent in by Audrey. And the question is, if you could book wander into any classic book, and she gives some examples like Tom Sawyer, The Secret Garden, etc. Which classic would you choose and why? Uh, knowing how much you love books and how much you care about them and care about them as artifacts and all that. I really want to hear from you on this one. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. You know, two, two come to mind just because 
I, you know, I think this, the first series I really read on my own, if now that I think of it was the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. And, mm. uh, that idea of being able to just sort of pass through a, a piece of furniture, really, um, we do have a wardrobe in our house that always makes me think of that. Mm. That one, I think, was the first time that I was completely immersed in a different world. And I guess it's never really left me. I reread those with my kids uh, when they were eight, nine, 10 or so. And it had a different effect on me. It didn't at all evoke the same strong feeling that you get when you read it the first time. Yeah. That would be one. And then there's a great book called uh, The Animal Family. And I don't know if it's by Randall Jarrett, and it's still in print, but it's hard to find, but it's probably 40 years old. And in it, there's like a guy living in the woods, a hunter, and he's near the water one day, and he comes upon a mermaid. And then he and the mermaid fall in love. She comes to live in his cabin, and then a stray bear comes in, and the bear's lost his parents and is orphaned, and they take the bear and raise the bear. And then a lynx comes, and I forget why the lynx is there. Who's stuck in a trap, maybe, and they save him. And so then it's it's the the hunter, the mermaid, the bear, the the lynx, and then they have a baby of their own. So that's the five of them all living in a cabin in the woods. And it's such a a perfect book. And it's it sort of does the same thing that I was trying to do here. It's like create an all ages book where if you're an adult, mm-hmm. there's something there for you and you feel welcome to it, but you could also read it as a kid. And yeah. um, I just read that maybe three months ago and I was sad that I'd never heard of it before, but he's written, he wrote some beautiful books and that one's illustrated by Maurice Sendak. Beautiful. Oh, wow. books. Huh. So uh, it's something to look, look for. I think you guys would really like it, but I think anybody would. And that's I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, get Those that into some... the shop, David. Yeah, I w- <laughs> all right, I will. All right, Graham, it's quiz time. Go easy on him. Uh, no promises. <laughs> all right. Dave, I haven't heard these questions either. Okay. Oh, yeah, I never tell David what I'm, I'm going to ask. Uh, <laughs> so it's always a surprise. Uh, like David said it before we started, we have a quiz for you. This quiz is tailored specifically for you. Um, not not to any of your strengths. Uh, well, maybe, I don't know. But this quiz I'm entitling uh, The Eyes and the Impossible Quiz. Mm. Now, you might be frightened that I'm going to try to quiz you on your own book and, and catch you up, but that is not the case. So I'm going to ask you several questions, uh, some relating to eyes and several questions relating to impossible or seemingly impossible things. Hmm. Most of these are multiple choice. Hmm. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Question number one. This one uh, has to do with impossible. Uh, Counting to infinity. All right. So while counting to infinity is quite literally impossible, that has not stopped people from attempting to count as high as they can. Uh, One man in particular, Jeremy Harper, counted for 16 hours per day over 89 days straight until he achieved his goal. So my question to you, what number was Jeremy attempting to reach? And here are your options. Is it A, 10,000? B, 100,000, C, 1 million, 
or D, one billion? Uh, it's got to be C or D. And I'm going to say, because you could get to 10,000 in a few days. Um, I'm, but then a billion just seems impossible. I, I'm going to say a billion. Did you say uh, it B a billion or, with a B? This man, Jeremy Harper, was attempting to count, attempting and achieved counting to one million. Ah, uh, see, he's too it, slow. Yeah, yeah he's he going slacker. very slow. Oh, yes, yeah. true. Yeah, lazy. So, did you know? I learned this, Dave. You probably know this, so I'll just direct this to Graham. I was we were doing a poetry conversation the other day on Robert Frost's poem "After Apple Picking," and in that, the it talks about ten thousand. And my friend Sean told me that the word myriad essentially comes from the word that means 10,000. So when you say that some, there's oh, a myriad of something, sure. it says 10,000 because it was thought for a long time that you couldn't, you can't comprehend a number bigger than 10,000. That was, that was the concept, supposedly. Anyway. Wow. All right. So, Wait. Dave, okay. I, yeah. um, I intentionally made the first question the hardest of all of them. So it's okay. uphill from here or downhill depending on which is your preference. All right, the second question, this has to do with eyes. All right, everybody gets scared at times. It's a perfectly normal and wholly understandable thing, being that we live in a world that contains some scary stuff. Uh, But if I've learned anything in this life, it's that googly eyes make things a lot less scary. Which of the following... Googly eye solutions, do you think would be the most successful idea in helping people out? Now, by googly eyes, you mean the things like those little like cartoonish eyes that you stick onto things like like on the Saturday Night Live skit? You, Dave, David, you don't know what googly eyes are? No, I'm just clear. Like we have a bunch of ten year olds who are listening, who and they, they also probably don't watch Saturday Night, Saturday, Night, Saturday Night Live. But yeah, they certainly know what googly eyes are. Okay, all right. All right. A uh, gigantic googly eyes to stick on an airplane for those who have a fear of flying. Yeah. Uh, B, googly eyes that get handed out for the audience to use for those afraid of public speaking. So picture being up on stage and just seeing people with mm-hmm. googly eyes. Uh, C, virtual googly eyes for your email inbox for those of us afraid of overstuffed uh, inboxes. Uh, or D, high-powered googly eye projector that can send an image of googly eyes uh, up in the sky when there's a thunderstorm. And the question is... Which which one of these is the best idea? Or which one of these uh, would you choose? The airplane, for mm. sure. Mm. I, you know, my my family and I, we went on a vacation in Rhode Island and we rented an Airbnb that had a giant refrigerator that was covered in purple fur and giant like foot long googly eyes so when you open the door wow. it kind of looked like the mouth like they had rigged it so uh, well that uh we still talk about it my son and i were just talking about it yesterday um did so you rent giant, this house because of that no we didn't know but <laughs> okay. i think it's uh it's a it's a great feature <laughs> yeah. to advertise and are you it, uh, are you saying there is a bonus fuzzy googly eyed fridge in this place that you didn't know about prior to booking we didn't know about it, but it is the main fridge. It is uh, the, well, I guess the bonus fridge. But I think real life googly eyes are always going to trump virtual 
ones, uh, virtual yeah. ones, I give yeah. no value to. I think yeah. putting them in the real world, like on fruit, which we do also at home a lot, is uh, we have large packets of googly eyes. And I mm. used to uh, work with clay as a kid, and I had I'm always putting googly eyes on my little clay figures too. So this is something I'm familiar with. But on a large scale, mm. like on an airplane scale, that would be supreme. I agree. I have a mild uh, fear of flying. And if I saw giant googly eyes on the plane, uh, it would make me feel a lot better. I think that is the correct answer. And as you pointed out, there was only one wrong answer. Um, and that is it, virtual ones. Like, get that out yeah. of here. Right. Yeah. All right. Question number three. Impossible creature. When the platypus was first encountered by Europeans, a pelt and a sketch were sent back to Great Britain. This is the uh, late 1700s. Uh, British scientists' initial hunch was that these attributes were a hoax, as such a creature was thought impossible to exist. There are just too many strange and contradictory things about the platypus. First and foremost is that it is a mammal that lays eggs. But here are four more platypus facts for your approval, one of which is false. So can you sniff out the uh, false one? All right, A, platypuses are venomous. The platypus has venomous spurs on the back of its legs and is one of the few venomous mammals left on Earth. Uh, B, it swims with its eyes closed because platypuses' bills have electroreceptors similar to sharks and rays. Could also use googly eyes there. Yeah, C, it has no stomach. Uh, The easy-to-digest food that platypuses eat uh, goes straight from the esophagus to the intestine. Uh, they are one of the only mammals without a stomach. The other one is the echidna. Or D, the platypus is the only animal that can actively roll their eyes, especially when seeing an emu or wallaby do something foolish, which is often. <laughs> it's got to be the eye roll. Oh, yeah, you got it. It was in the, it was in the phrasing. Sorry about that, Graham. <laughs> you know, and you um, gave away the stomach thing when you said the echidna, so that one was out. Yeah, the, the, that the was going to be my choice, but but the rolling the eyes, rolling the eyes at other Australian natives, uh, that was too much. They wouldn't, he would not know to roll his eyes if you had made it somehow scientifically rounded about why he rolled his eyes. Then yeah, you would have had it. But you're, yeah, you're saying if away. I was, you're saying if I was a little bit smarter, I could have got one past you. <laughs> That's more devious, maybe. (laughs) A little little deceptive, yeah. A a platypus being in a future adventure of Johannes would be an interesting, you know. Yeah. I would love to know what he would do when he would encounter a a platypus. Yeah, Johannes goes down under. I guess that's that's, uh, number (laughs) six in the series, yeah. Yeah. All right, question number four. There are five questions. This one has to do with eyes. In mythology, as well as modern hero stories, superpowered eyes seem to hold a certain intrigue. Uh, I'm going to list for you four characters with fantastic ocular powers. All right, so which one of these powers would you choose to have if you were given the choice? A, Medusa, (laughs) the power to turn people (laughs) into stone. Uh, B, Cyclops. Uh, I'm I'm not talking about from the Odyssey, but the uh, X-Men. Focused laser beam eyes. Uh, (laughs) Not the one-eyed. C, Sauron. Uh, the power to find very specific jewelry, uh, or D, uh, Superman, who has telescopic vision. 
So which would he choose? Yes. Huh. Um, and what about the X-ray vision that Superman has? Or are you just focusing on telescopic? I'm, o- I'm only saying telescopic. And Sauron, what does he have? Uh, he has the power to find very specific jewelry. Oh, just the ring. Okay. Um, so he's out. <laughs> well, I don't um, know. You Do you do you lose a lot yeah. of rings? That could be very helpful. I, it's weirdly. Uh, long story. But yeah. So Medusa's out. Future we, don't book. Wanna, we don't want to turn anyone into stone. I think... Um, I'd go with the Superman telescopic, you yeah. know, it would save you the trouble of bringing binoculars, that kind of thing. That's, mm. um, that's a great point. You don't need a telescope for the night sky. I think all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, David, what do you think? Do you think I'll that's accept a, it. You're accepting that answer? Is yeah, correct? I'll accept it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the only nonviolent one. Well, Sauron, I guess, but Sauron isn't inherently violent so i think that we're going to go with a peaceful d decision okay well i didn't know like i didn't know how much you liked your editors but it seems like you do so the stone thing you know okay all right final we went over that earlier yeah final question impossible question all right in october of 2018 rock climber alex honnold became the first person to scale the 3,000 foot granite wall of el capitan in yosemite national park without using ropes or other safety gear, completing what many thought was an impossible climb. His main motivation for doing it, he said, it looked like so much fun. Uh, fun may not be the motivator, motivator for me or you to climb a cliff like that, but perhaps one of these rewards would get you to the top. So Dave Eggers... Would you make a dangerous journey to the top of El Capitan if, A, upon completion, uh, you are awarded the best meal anyone has ever eaten in the history of the world? Mm. Uh, B, a manuscript from your favorite author was at the summit that no eyes have seen before. Uh, C, upon completion, you are given a one-year break from any digital correspondence. Or D, you get a coupon for never having to go to the DMV again. Hmm. So we're assuming that I'm going, right? And then I'm choosing which one of these is my favorite reward. Is that right? Yes. Yes. You're right. There is no option of not do it. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say I'd stay in the car, go home. Okay. Um, I uh, send a proxy. <laughs> I've seen those pictures of uh, that climber on uh, it. Uh, doesn't it all look like fun to me? But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sweaty palms. Uh, I would say it's either going to be the one year break. You know, I really enjoy the DMV. I have to say, like the DMV near me is so easy and mm. friendly. And efficient. You cannot believe it. In and out in 10 minutes. Every Are you time. being sarcastic? I no, cannot. I'm <laughs> deadly serious. Like this... I've almost written them fan letters. It's so good. You li- where you live in Sh- Shangri-La? San Francisco. It's <laughs> it's weird, you know, it's just a weird pocket where they really they I think they're aware of the reputation and the uh, sloth yeah. comparison from you know that uh the animated movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that they want to do better. <laughs> And they take a real pride in their work. It's amazing. They're so, so they get they like bring you a warm cookie when you come in. Everything uh, but it's Annie, really Annie nice. Leibowitz is there to take the photos. 
Uh, weirdly, <laughs> she was there when I was there, maybe just that day. But she <laughs> did take some good photos of. No, I. But anyway, <laughs> I, I do really. I love great, uh, you know, civil servants that really take pride in uh, mm. in helping their fellow citizens. So um, I'm going to say the one year break from digital correspondence. <laughs> uh, that is the one that just like screams out at me as uh worth crossing any sea or climbing any mountain uh mm. that would uh, that would be pretty great does that Who, get, does i that think work? we should accept that but i would love to know what author would have to have had a manuscript at the top of el capitan to make you potentially choose that well i was talking to a friend about vonnegut about an hour ago uh he comes to mind mm. i guess um but you know I guess because I'm in publishing and yeah, you just yeah. you just you're awash in everything. Yeah. There's so yeah. much yeah. written and there's so much good stuff that I feel like there's never any shortage. But and then you you know, I would have said Mark Twain, but then he did come out with that book a hundred years after he died. And yeah, I feel like sati- satiated there too. So <laughs> I don't know. You know, like yeah. um yeah. I'm gonna go with the one hour, the one year digital break. Can you can you make that happen? I I will attempt to put that at the top of a tall mountain for you to climb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or send send one of your send a proxy maybe to, to accomplish it. All so right, Dave, I, I am absolutely counting that as correct because I agree. Uh, yeah, I, that is one of my big anxieties. And uh, if that could go away for a year, it'd be absolutely wonderful. Uh, this seems like a very passing grade to me but we need to send this <laughs> test out to you know our higher ups that will put it through you know scan, they, they'll, they'll give the it. assessment yeah. yeah it usually takes six to eight weeks before we get a result yeah. that's reasonable there's a lot to go okay. through it's five questions it's it's a long it's a you know, it's a lot <laughs> well Dave, before we let you go we need to ask you two questions that we ask everybody one is what are you working on now if you're at liberty to share it? And we did get a lot of questions about whether you were going to write a sequel for uh, The Eyes and the Impossible. So maybe you're working on a sequel, question mark. And then the other, and then you can get to that one and then we'll ask the other ones so that we're not throwing multiple questions at you. Um, no, I, I'm not generally inclined to sequels, even though I would love to write from Johannes's point of view for years and years it's the most fun i've ever had um mm. but you know there's other stories to tell and so i there's a there's a book for young readers out in january called soren's seventh song and it's about a whale you know how whales will come up with not just whale songs but um hit whale songs i don't know if you know this but every so often there will be a song that a whale will come up with that will actually be They'll, they'll hear the same song sung all over the world in the oceans, north, south, east, and west. And it, it they call it like whale scientists will sort of say, yeah, this is a hit song. And so huh. it'll go for, you know, many months that that'll be sung by everybody. And so this is about a uh, whale named Soren who is trying to write a shorter, jauntier version of the typical long droning whale. That's hit. great. And uh, sort of about the artistic process, I guess, in the, in the meantime. Yeah. That's wonderful. And then you said January, right? I think it's January. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Last question here. And then we're going to let you get on with your evening. 
Do you have any advice for the kids who are listening to this show who want to be writers? Uh, most of the kids who are listening are in that, you know, eight to 12 range, but a lot of them are, you know, interested in doing what you do. So what advice would you give them at this point in their lives? Well, you know, first I'll say, um, I had three different teachers growing up that made us write and illustrate our own finished books all the way down to the binding. So in first grade, fifth grade, and seventh grade, and I still have all three of them. And it wasn't like a few pages. These were like 25, 30 page books that every page had to be perfect, copy edited, and they sort of hold up. And to hold yourself to that standard of actually finishing something that you could read to your peers or your parents or your friends, that's key. Mm. And then just to keep doing it. Like, yeah. you know, it's all practice until you're 30, basically. You know, like <laughs> it's all you're all always learning. And mm. so, um, and then always be willing to share your work because the point of writing it down, you know, written communication means that it's social, means that you intend it to be um, read. And so to not be too shy about saying, hey, can I read this to you? Or show it to somebody or trade stories with a good friend who also likes to write. Hmm. And then my last thing is, we have something called the Young Editors Project that your readers might or your listeners might be interested in. And if you go to Young Editors Project, you'll find it quickly online. And it's a thing where young readers can uh, become editors. They get to see manuscripts by professional writers like this book um, in progress. So this book was sent before it was finished to about 12 different young readers between the ages of 8 and 13. Um, before it was illustrated, before it was bound. And then they wrote me to say, here's what I liked and here's what I want more of and all of these things. And so many writers, including Mac Barnett and Sean Harris, allow their stories to be shown to our Young Editors Project readers. And then they get to see a peek into the publishing process. And then all of these editors get their names in the finished book of the book that they read. So it's a way to sort of, you know, become part of the, you know, get a peek behind the curtain and also really cool. directly in it. That's so really cool. uh, I hope you'll... Uh, Spread the word and send yeah. uh, your listeners our way. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll post that link in the uh, the show notes for this episode as well. Very cool. Thank you. Well, Dave, thank you so much for the time. We did end up keeping you a little bit longer, but um, that's just because we're Don't having worry. such a good time. So, Yeah, it's been a blast. Thank you. So thank you. Uh, best of luck with all of your projects that you're working on and uh, and with this new book that's coming out in a couple months. We're we super excited for that one. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks again for having me. And... Um, Stay warm out there. You guys have winter coming. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I guess not so much in Concord, yeah. but uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. thank you so much for having me. And uh, of course, yeah. talk to you next time. Well, that was our conversation with Dave Eggers. Thank you so much to Mr. Eggers for joining us. We had a great time. What an honor to get to chat with um, an author that is um, so accomplished as, as Dave Eggers. So thanks to him for coming on. But that brings us to the end of the episode. It brings us to our final segment. It brings us to riddle time. Graham, 
I did the riddles last season. Yes. And you're doing the riddles this season. Yeah. And until I run out and ask you at the last minute, I need you to do a riddle. It is my season. <laughs> that is correct. Well, if someone hears me do, <laughs> do a riddle, doing a riddle, then they know Graham ran out of them. Yes. Okay. So Graham, what is this? Well, you know what? Let's do the answer to last week's riddle first. I feel like that's, that's customary. That seems appropriate. Yeah, right. um, since that's what we said we do. And that's what we've done 50 times. Uh, all right. So last week, Christy Churchesterton was out in the woods. She found a cool treehouse, but this treehouse would not just let anybody in. Right. There was some sort of password system. Right. Mysterious. Uh, so she watched a couple other kids come up. The treehouse guardian said 12. Mm-hmm. The other kid said six. Right. He was let in. Mm-hmm. The next one came up and said six. Mm-hmm. And the kid said three. Mm-hmm. And he was let in. And then she thought she figured it out. Uh, so um, the password guy said 10, so she said 5, because she was seeing these were all halves, right. but she was not let in. Mm. And that is because the pattern is not just to cut in half whatever number he said, but the pattern is to say the number of letters that are in each word that he said. So if somebody says 10 to you, T-E-N, You'd say three. You say three. And she said five. That is why she was not let in. So, because 12 has six letters. T-W-E-L-V-E. Yes. And six has three letters. Mm, Clever. Clever. I thought that was a good one. Riddly is what that is. That's pretty riddly. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you sent in the correct answer, then you will be entered into our drawing at the end of the season for a book bundle, just as you will be if you send in the correct answer to this week's riddle. Which, Graham, is what? Yeah. Well, um, before I do that, I just have to say, we have smart listeners. We have really smart listeners. There were so many right answers that I was shocked. <laughs> like, this is hard. I would be thinking about this for days, for, you know. For, for weeks. For at least a fortnight. <laughs> All right. This week. All right. We have a magician. What's his name? His name is the great, uh, the great. Dave. <laughs> That's his stage name. Is great it? Dave? Yeah. His yeah, real yeah. name is Charles. <laughs> All right. So, so we got the great Dave. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. The great Dave, you know, he would do street magic. So that, you know, he's right. just out on the street doing yeah, cool yeah. stuff. Right, right, right. Card just, tricks. Just making people amazed. Yeah. Making people amazed. So he's got like a little crowd around him, right? Yeah. And so one day when the great Dave is doing his street magic... A little boy named uh, Samuel Winston McClintock uh, comes up. We're just going to call him Sam. It's a good name. I'm not going to remember what I just said. S-W-M. Swim Swam. Swim Swam. Swim Sam. (laughs) Sam Swim. Uh, So Sam comes up, and he's watching him do his magic. Right. And the show's over. But he's like, do some more. I want to see something else. And right. he doesn't really know what to say, the great Dave. He just is like, I'm kind of done with my show. So he's like, yeah, well, I can just, tricks. I can tell you. Um, so he just started boasting about other things that he's done, like accomplishments. Okay. Not not necessarily magic. So they're just, they're just out on the street right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so Dave and Sam are talking. Yeah. And the great Dave says... Uh, well, I can I can hold my breath underwater for six minutes. Wow, okay. Yeah. And Sam's yeah. kind of impressed by that, yeah. but he said, surprisingly, Sam said, that's nothing. I can stay underwater for 10 minutes okay. using no breathing equipment. Okay. It's so like no scuba gear or anything. 
No oxygen tanks? The great Dave was perplexed. Okay. And told the kid, if he could do that, he would give him $100. 100 but Wow, that's a lot of money for I a know. kid. Especially okay. from a street magician. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great point. But guess yeah. what? What? Sam left and went home with $100 in his pocket. Let me guess. The question is, how did he do this? How did Sam do this? Okay. So he goes underwater for 10 minutes without any breathing equipment. He said, I can stay underwater for 10 minutes. Yes. Okay. Interesting. That's a good one. All right. So if the kids think that they know the answer to Sam's amazing deed here, uh, mm-hmm. how should they submit their their uh, their suggestions? Right. So if you know the answer to this week's riddle, write us in at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. While you're doing that, also, you can send us any lazy or crazy word suggestions that you have. You can also send us authors names that you want us to interview and you can also send us drawings of david's lair that has uh, candy corn wrappers what? and well, ice wait, cream wait, buckets wait, wait, and a troll wait, that's wait, mad wait next wait, to wait, it. wait wait what what i'm what? just saying they could they could send us in drawings of a corner of a room filled with ice cream and candy corn and david there with all of like asleep because he's eaten so much of it that's all uh, it doesn't have to be what? you. It could be any David. <laughs> <laughs> could, could it be? Could it be the great Dave's? <laughs> could be the great Dave. The great Dave's. Could lair. be Dave Eggers. <laughs> what? I don't know. Uh, but but make theme. it. But make it David. <sighs> make him wear Goldberry books. We're, we're, at the, we're at the end of the. We're at the end of this this conversation. It's the end of the episode. So, um, you know, um, for, uh, I uh, you get uh, for Grand Pippin. I'm I'm. David Kern, till next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.